You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. We're going to start there. We've been talking about the Ten Commandments. Verse 1, Then God gave all the people uh, all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. Remember the simplified version of commandment number one is this. I want to be your one and your only exclusive God. Uh, number one is like being a baby born and asking them in their infancy, can I be your parent? Can I be your father? And we realized that when God was speaking this, he was speaking this to a nation that had just been delivered, a brand new nation of people who have been in slavery for years. And he comes to them and says, the first commandment I would like to ask you is, now that you've been born into this new existence, can I be your God? And as, of course, as a parent, they, yeah, they said yes. And you'll find out if you read your scriptures in real life, uh, just like in real life, when Israel gets older, maybe in their teenage years, we come to find out that they uh, begin to second guess and rebel against everything that God asked them to do. But at this point, at this moment, they are, they are under God's care. And uh, he says, commandment number one, let me be your God. Commandment number two is, verses four through six, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And in commandment number two, God was saying, don't you dare treat me like you did the gods of Egypt. I don't want to be used in your crisis and then forgotten about. And that's what they did. They had so many gods. When they had a crisis, they would pull that God off the shelf. They'd pray to that God. And when the crisis was done, they would put it back. And God was simply saying this. I want to be involved in every aspect of your life. Don't you try to dumb me down. Don't you try to shrink me down. Don't you try to manage me. I want to be the Lord of your life. I want to be the God for everything. And that's commandment number two. Can I be your Lord? Commandment number three is, we talked about last week, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misses, misuses his name. And here's what that means is don't attach my name to anything that I'm not attached to. And don't leverage my name for your own personal vain goals. Don't misrepresent me to this world. And God knew that other nations would associate his character and his name by the behavior and the words of Israel. And so his third commandment was this, represent me well before all of mankind. And I'm a strong believer in what is called typology. And typology is this, that events, persons, or statements in the Old Testament are foreshadows and types of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him in the New Testament. So I believe the Ten Commandments, if, if interpreted properly, understood properly, is, is a foreshadow of our journey of faith. So commandment number one, I'm the Lord your God who delivered you out of slavery. Would you accept me as your one and only personal God? It's just simply John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his only one son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. So in New Testament terms, commandment number one would be this. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
I came to earth to die for your sins, to deliver you from slavery. Would you accept me into your life? Believe in me and let me be your one and only personally God. One and only personal God. So Jesus becomes your Savior. Commandment number two in the Old Testament is don't treat me like the gods of Egypt. I want to be the Lord of your life in every arena of your life. And that would translate in the New Testament. Jesus says, I don't just want to be your get out of hell free card. I don't want to just be that person. I want to be somebody who's involved in every decision, every aspect of your life. I want to be the Lord of your life. And I believe the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our life is progressive and a separate decision than salvation. It's a constant journey of relinquishing the areas of our life. There are many believers that accept Jesus Christ as Savior, but have a hard and difficult time allowing Him to be the Lord. To get in every area, every decision. And commandment number two is that. Let me in to every aspect of your life. And if you break commandment number two, you're always going to break commandment number three. You're not going to represent Him well to this world. I don't know if you know that. If you don't allow Him in every area of your life, there's no way you're going to represent Him well to this world. You'll misuse or misrepresent. Because relationship with God, when you don't obey number two, is relationship with God is more about our pleasure than His Lordship. Our actions do not align with our confession of Christianity and therefore we misrepresent Him to the world. So we are His hands, we are His feet, we are His voice. It's our job to ease suffering, to wipe out injustice, share His love so that His name becomes famous in all the world. And those who have never accepted Him and, and treat Him as Lord, right, will have a difficult time representing Him, His name well on this earth and it, and and they usually lose their mission and purpose. So commandments 1 through 3 have to do directly with our relationship to God. Now number 4 is interesting because it's a it's a transitional commandment. We're going to find next week that 5 through 10 have to do with our relationship with each other. But number 4 is this transitional. It has to do with our relationship with God, but it also has to do with our relationship with each other. So here it is. You ready? Verse verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's command number four. You shall take a break. (laughs) You shall take a day off. And you're thinking, I like number four. (laughs) That's one of my favorites. (laughs) Now, if you had ten things to say to your child or your children that you thought would change their life forever, that would set their destiny, that would create a great society, do you think take a break would even make the top 25? You know, before don't kill, before don't commit adultery, don't steal, thou shalt take a break. Really? I mean, something uh, interesting trivia, some interesting trivia about this commandment. It's the only commandment that is never actually commanded again in the New Testament or the epistles, I should say. It's mentioned in the Gospels, but only as the Pharisees are making accusations towards Jesus and him not fulfilling the Sabbath. We're going to discover 
that God gave two illustrations of this commandment before he gave the commandment. Um, this commandment has the most explanation about it than any other commandment. We violate this commandment all the time and we hardly feel guilty about it. In fact, we probably spiritualize the breaking of this commandment more than any other. Sabbath is an, actually a noun that came from a verb. And the verb is, don't work. So when God said it's a Sabbath day, He literally saying, this is a no work day. I am setting up for you a no work day. And I'm going to make it holy. Which means I'm going to make it separate and unique and different than all the other days. And you're saying, wow, this is getting really, really personal, God. Doesn't God understand that we live in a different society than they did back then? I mean, we need to get ahead. We're a two-income family. We have bills to pay and things to do. Uh, this is a new age and new things are happening. And my competitors are not taking a day off, I'll tell you that much. And, and Actually, this commandment was way more difficult in their society than it is in ours. They were a 24-7 work society. They were lost in a new land with no sustainable crops. They had livestock from Egypt, but they had to take care of them all the time on a regular basis. They had no refrigeration to keep their food from spoiling. They actually had already run out of food once already in this land, about two and a half months in. And this society was working all the time just to keep up, just to stay alive. They had this impeccable work ethic. Two million people wandering around as nomads. And when God said to them, you shall take a 24-hour period when you will do nothing, no work. That was a major risk for them. You need a Sabbath. You need a don't work day. It seemed unrealistic. It seemed insensitive. If God really saw our plight, if He really noticed who we were and what's going on and He cared about our well-being... He wouldn't demand us to take a day off. It's not logical. It doesn't work on paper. And imagine you're in the desert for three months with this incredibly large society who has only known the daily grind of abusive slavery. You've already run out of food once. In Egypt, every day you had to work or you wouldn't get fed or worse, you'd get punished by a cruel master. So daily working to survive was wired into your operating system. In 400 years, it was passed down from father to son. Work or die. Work or die. Work or die. You don't get a day off as a slave. And, and God is delivering you. The commandments are going to just enhance your life, to live your life for the rest of your life. You've been set free. And God says, now let me teach you how to live life as free men who serve me. Number one, allow me to be your one and only God. I delivered you out of Israel. And you're like, wow, yeah, that's an easy one. We're set free. Of course you can be our God. Allow me to be the Lord of your life. For years, a master told you everything to do. He didn't care about you. I love you. Would you allow me to help you with the decisions of your life? Yeah. Why wouldn't we do that? You're the one that helped us get out of slavery. You're the one that did this. You're the God of deliverance. Absolutely. Don't misrepresent my name. Don't leverage my name. Keep my name pure and holy. Sure, God, you're the one who loved us and set us free. We want your name to be famous in this world. And by the way, I want, to, I want you to change your weekly MO. The only thing you've known for 400 years is work, 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 work. And so in the middle of the desert, when you've already run out of food, when you have two million people to feed, I want you to take a 24-hour period where you don't work. 
Can you imagine the pushback to that? Really? Some of you seeing here today have a pushback to that. <laughs> Seriously? That seems crazy. That, that does not make sense. Apparently, is God is way out of touch with reality, right? He doesn't understand him circumstances because if he did, he would never tell us to take a day off. And God knew what their reaction would be. God knew what your reaction would be. It's a natural reaction to people who've been enslaved for years. But, so God helps them, right? You're saying, but God, listen, I, you know, I, I've heard this all my life. God helps those who help themselves. So I need to work. Just so you know, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> if you didn't know that. I like this one better. God helps those who can't help themselves. God helps the helpless. How many fit that category better? That's the entire exact point of this. So God knew the reaction. So he illustrated the point. And here's the illustration found in Exodus chapter 16. This is before he gave the commandment. Verses 1 through 5. We're going to read different portions of Exodus 16. Um, Not the entire chapter, but you can turn there. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, so two and a half months into this thing, after they come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to die. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in. And that is to be as twice as much as they gather on the other days. We're going to find out if you read the next few scriptures that God fulfilled his promise. In fact, he even gave them quail in the evening. They probably are lethargic quail because you've been in quail hunting. Those guys can run and fly away from you pretty fast. So he gave them lethargic quail in the evening <laughs> so that they could have food. Uh, so then in verse 19, Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. And you only gather enough for one day and the next morning you go out and gather next for the next day. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. And you can understand this, right? They've been slaves all their life. They haven't had anything. They've been starving. Some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Skipping to verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. It was the only day that that did not happen. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord, a no work day to the Lord. You will find you will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Don't you trust me in this? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day He gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they're on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. 
Daily, God provided for them. Um, in the morning, in the evening, with only two rules. The two rules is this. Only get enough food to provide for yourself for that day on, on the first five days. Each person was allotted an omer of bread. If you read your Bible, that's about three pounds of bread and some quail in the evening. Uh, it was a simple principle that God was instilling in them at an early stage at the part of their nation is I want you to look to me every day to sustain you. I want you every day to look up and ask me to help you out. Uh, Jesus put it this way, give us today our daily bread. And that's how we pray. God, today I want to spend time with you and ask you for that because I need you every day. Number two rule is there's one day, the this, this sixth day, which was Friday for them, that you got two times the amount so that you would have enough the next day. But the next day, you're not to work or toil or go out. You're to eat that food that God provided. And it was to be a no work day. And it was supposed to be holy. And the word holy means separated. A different day than the rest of the days. So before God gave the commandment, Israel had this huge illustration of what that meant. Because God knew what their reaction would be when He said to them, don't work on the seventh day. Take a day off. And so He illustrated. Not only that, He illustrated when He was making creation. And on the seventh day, He took a rest. Now, did God need to take a rest on the seventh day? I mean, He turned to the angels and said, wow, man, I created 350 elephants yesterday. I'm so wiped out. I need a day off. No, He did that as an illustration. Because... He knew uh, how we would react. Now, that, um, this seems trivial in comparison to all the other commandments. Don't work. Yeah, okay, you got it. No, like that. So why did God place some importance that he included as, as number four in the in ten? Because God wanted to prove to the Israelites to, and to you and me that he had the ability, listen, to create seven days of, of productivity out of six days of work. He has that ability. That you could trust Him, provide for you, even though it made no sense logically. On paper, it's not right. Go to any financial advisor, they're going to tell you it's not right. Six days does not equate to seven days of work. I realize that every day that you rest, your to-do desk gets longer. I get that. I understand the stress of a single mother trying to provide for her family. I get how difficult school can be for you. Jesus explains this day further in the New Testament. Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He says, He said to them, Listen to this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so this commandment that God is giving you is, is because you need it, not because He needed it. So God made the Sabbath for several reasons. Number one, He says, Remember the Sabbath. It's a day of remembering. A day that you can put all the things that cram into your schedule, that cloud your judgment, that make you feel like the walls are closing in. A day that you can put those aside and really remember the things that are important to you. God knew there would be a day that Israel would become prosperous. They would become a wealthy nation because of all their hard work and all their her toil. And, and he knew at that day and they're, when they were succeeding that they would tend to forget about who was the ultimate provider just like we can it. So he said, I'm going to force you to take a full day to remember who it is that provided for you. I want you to take one day where you do nothing except rest in me and remember what I've done for you. He was their provider, the one that brought them out of slavery, the one that blessed them with the promised land. 
And he knew that he, if he didn't force them to take a day of remembrance, they wouldn't do it on their own. So I'm going to force you to take a day to, to do this, to refocus, because if, if I don't, you won't. That's probably true with my life. If God didn't force me, I probably wouldn't do that. I'm that type A personality that's ready to run all the time. So God says, I'm going to force this upon you because, number two, he loves you so much, he wants you to take a day of rest. It's a day of remembrance, but it's a day of rest. In case you didn't realize this, God created us with limited resources. We are limited creations. We need him. We need each other. We need to take a break. He created us to be dependent upon one another. And a day of rest and strength will protect you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And a lack of rest will open you up to all kinds of emotional, spiritual, and physical attacks. You want to protect yourself from sin, from emotional outbursts, from bad decisions? Take a day of rest. If you become a workaholic, and you push yourself to the limits, and you drive yourself into the ground, and you burn yourself out, your defenses come down, your filter is broken, your emotions are raw. And somehow, somewhere, you're going to lose it. You may mess up in a way that will cost you years to recover. And God says, I love you so much. I understand how I created you. And if you don't rest and take a day of rest, you're going to burn out and it's going to hurt everybody around you. Isn't that a loving God that he commanded us to take a day to do this? I I usually have an issue with this commandment. Out of all the commandments, I break this one the most. And some of you breathing a sigh of relief. Well, I'm glad it's not the murder one. <laughs> I didn't tell you which number two was, okay? It's just, <laughs> I, I live in a world, I operate in a world where I never know where the next crisis is going to be or where it's going to come from. And sometimes they happen on days that I'm supposed to be taking a day off. Uh, I had to realize something. It took me a while to realize this when I was starting our church, that I'm not God. And I have to have a faith that he can take care of these things. And even if I'm on a day off, I, I have limited resources. And as you get older, you realize how more limited they are, right? Everybody above 50 said, amen. Yeah, right. <laughs> I need him. I need my wife. I need my children. And I need you. And my wife is wonderful at helping me with this. She knows uh, that this is not natural for me, that I'm driven. So she uh, makes sure that I rest. Uh, some Sundays, uh, Sundays are typically a work day for me. I'm, I'm here, I'm up early, I'm talking to people, people are telling me their stories, and it's typically a work day for me. So a couple times a month, we'll head up to my mom and dad's house up in Payson, uh, just because to get a disconnect, and she always drives. And before we hit Highway 87, I'm asleep. And it's almost every time as we drive up into Payson, we hit that hill, I wake up. And I take my Sunday afternoon nap. When we take Monday and she hides my iPad and she hides my computer and she takes away my, my cell phone and we watch movies together and we play cards together and we make food together and we enjoy each other. Because she says, I know you're a better person when you're rested. <laughs> just recently I was at the end of my rope and stress and I just wasn't. I was a little cranky. And I felt bad the next day. And the next day she woke up and she was just loving on me and all that stuff. I go, wow, all this after the way I traded yesterday. She goes, I knew it wasn't you. You were just stressed out and tired. She's great at that. 
And uh, after you live with the, each other so many years, you sort of get those, those fears out there. And I felt so, it valued me so much that she understood that, that I needed to take a break. Uh, this One day this week, she said, you're sitting down today, you're taking the day off, you're going to take a rest. So she is my gauge with that because it's not natural to me. She understands how important it is for me and how it plays out in the life that one day off makes me better, right, than me, me trying to do everything for seven days. She wants me to be protected. She does, emotionally and physically and spiritually. She wants me protected. And God made it as a day of rest to protect us because he loves us. And, and the third thing is it's a day of renewed faith. It makes no sense that six days of work equals to seven days of productivity. It makes no sense that if we give and tithe 10%, that 90% of our income goes farther than 100% of our income. None of that makes sense. It's not logical. It's not scientific. It's faith. And do you have the faith to believe that six days equates to seven days? That 90% equates to probably more than 100%. Do you know who the richest man in Arizona is? Anybody know? I don't even know if I get his name right. Is it Bruce Hall or Hale? He is the uh, 82-year-old founder of Discount Tire. His... uh, He's the wealthiest person in Arizona and with a worth of $4.2 billion. Do you know what is unique about Discount Tire? They're closed on Sundays. Now, that doesn't make sense, especially in that business. I mean, this is the day where everybody can get their cars fixed. Because of his faith, he decided that we we're going to take seven, the seventh day off. We're going to take a day off so that all my employees can enjoy their families, can go to church if they want to. We're going to take the day off. And you know what? It worked. And I'm sure when he said that, there were businessmen around Arizona going, are you kidding me? You're an idiot. There's no way. And today he's the wealthiest man in Arizona. And of course, we know Chick-fil-A does that. We know Hobby Lobby does that. People who own business of faith. And we're just saying, we're going to take, we believe that they're all successful, that six days can, can equate into seven days of productivity. It is faith. I believe, God, you're my ultimate provider. You are the life. You're the one that gives me blessings. So I trust that you're going to provide. And why is this important to God? Let me tell you why it's important to God. Because God wants you defined by who you are, not what you do. He wants you defined by who you are, not what you do. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a lover of my wife. I'm a daddy to my daughters. I'm a pretty, pretty cool grandpa. Probably one of the largest in all of Japan. <laughs> I got that going for me. And my job, okay, that's who I am. And my job is that I get the opportunity to pastor a great and wonderful church that I love. And I love my job and I love our church. But that's not who I am. That's what I do. Does that make sense? And so because of that, God says, I'm more concerned with who you are and the relationships you have than what you do. So because of that, I know if you take a day off, if you take a Sabbath for your family, for you, for rest, for faith, you're going to be a better person for that. Can you, can you, can you, he forced a commandment on us to rest. He put it in there as number four. Do you get how serious this is to God? How important this is to God? How much he loves you and cares for you and your family? So you need to have a day, a day that is holy and untouchable. 
that is focused on what is most important aspects of life, relationships. You need to have a day like that. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your family and yourself. Because God knows that the urgent will always choke out the important. If you don't do this, there will always be something there that's more urgent than what is important in life. God wants you to create an untouchable day. He created this day for you, for Him, and for your family to be refreshed in your relationship, to be renewed in your faith, and to remember what's important. Because God knew that you didn't create untouchable times in your schedule, you would get lost. And do you have those times in your schedule that are untouchable? To remember your loving Heavenly Father. That I just, I just blocked out this time. I, I devote some time every day to prayer and the reading of His Word. I devote a day of family worship. It's untouchable. Do you have times that, are, that, that you've devoted, that you've said that they're untouchable times to spend with your spouse? Oh, we're going to have a date night. That's what we do. And there's going to be all kinds of reasons why you should and all things that come up, but I'm going to dedicate this. I'm going to have time every day that I'm going to dedicate to listening and debriefing and showing her that I care for her. I'm going to, it's an untouchable time. I'm going to have untouchable time with my children when they get my undivided attention that they know. It blows me away that not only would God make this a commandment, that He'd make it number four. That's how important He thinks it is. That's how important He thinks you are. So let's stand and pray and thank God that He loves us that much. And let's dedicate ourselves to that. So, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you sent your Son, that you care for us that much, that you would literally command us to take some time off. Because, Jesus, you died for people. You love people. And we were made in your image to have relationship with you and others. Father, give us the strength, the courage, and the faith to have times that are untouchable with you, with our family, with our children, and for our own rest. Times that we reflect on your goodness. Times that we remember what really is important. Thank you, Father, that you love us that much. We, we make a commitment today to you that we're going to obey this command. We're going to take some time to tell you we love you every day. We're going to take some time to tell our family how much we love them every day. To love on our wife. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.